I'm Crystal Escobar. This is episode number 48. Here is my conversation with singer-songwriter Mindy Gledhill. Welcome to the Wannabe Balanced Podcast, encouraging you to become the best version of yourself as you strive for balance in motherhood and business. Self-made millionaires, Sean and Crystal Escobar, will help you discover your passion and offer valuable insight into how you can make your dreams come true. And now your host, author, blogger, YouTuber, and wannabe balanced mom, Crystal Escobar. I just had a wonderful conversation with Mindy Gledhill. I'm such a huge fan of hers. I've been a fan of hers since her album Anchor came out. I just, oh my gosh, her voice is amazing. And I'm so excited to share this recording, this little interview conversation that we had together. But before I do that, I wanted to read her bio. Give you guys a little background about Mindy Gledhill in case there are any of you who have never heard of her, which that would be crazy because she has accomplished a lot. She's been around for a while. And if you've heard her album at all, you'll be instantly hooked. For years, Mindy Gledhill's relentless search for meaning has inspired her to pursue a variety of musical projects, both at home and abroad, and has now launched her headfirst down a rabbit hole of new melodic creativity. Over the years of her musical career, Mindy has recorded wildly successful indie albums with award-winning producers, starting with her 2004 debut, followed by four more albums over the next decade, Feather in the Wind, Anchor, Pocketful of Poetry, and the Christian album Winter Moon. In addition to her own releases, Mindy has also performed as a guest artist on multiple acclaimed projects, including Cascade's 2011 Grammy-nominated album Fire and Ice, her popularity has led to sold-out shows across the U.S., as well as performances with remarkable musical groups ranging from orchestras and rock bands and bluegrass revivalists. It's also brought her music to primetime TV, where it has appeared in So You Think You Can Dance, Bones, 2020, The Good Wife, and Dancing with the Stars. In addition, her work has been featured in several television commercials, including Fruit of the Looms, 2012 Olympic Games ad campaign, AAA Insurance's 2014 Super Bowl campaign, and LG phones, to name a few. But as rewarding as those successes have been, Mindy has always felt compelled to traverse the provincial borders of her backyard. Over the years, she has sung and danced with inspiring Kenyan women while on a humanitarian trip, guided an artist's retreat to Morocco, and enjoyed sold-out tours in Japan and a number one hit single in Korea. Most recently, the personal trails she has blazed, complete with unexpected forks, twists, and turns, have led to a fresh destination on her musical map. Her new album, appropriately entitled Rabbit Hole, is the breathy confessional of a rapt soul who slipped down the curious tunnel of experience, landed in a hall of locked doors, and refused to be contained. In Rabbit Hole, Mindy confronts the challenges of life, all its unfulfilled expectations, sudden detours, and existential wounds, and presents us with a silver lining through bouncy rhythms and ballads of unabashed optimism. In spite of life's crucibles and crises, she reassures us that everything is going to be all right, and that to be upside down is a fine way to be. Yeah, this woman is pretty much amazing. And our conversation is all about what inspired her most recent album, which is an album that I can relate to on so many levels. 
I am just blown away by her talent and her amazing way of describing exactly how it feels to have a faith crisis. And it's so interesting to know that Mindy Gledhill actually has the exact same religious background as I do. And then for her to write this album about her own faith crisis, and it was just incredible to have her music to help me through one of the most difficult times of my life. And it is an honor for me to have had this opportunity to speak with her about this and and her own experience and to kind of ask her the questions that I have had and and just wanting to know a little bit more about what it was like for her. So here is our conversation. As I've been such a huge fan for so many years and then I mean I know you kind of know the backstory but just to kind of get the conversation going and how how this all came about was so I had my um my doubts and my questions about about the church and then I somehow was led to Mormon Stories podcast and I was scrolling through and then I saw your name I was like what Mindy Gledhill and then I was intrigued so I listened to it and I've always been such a big fan and and just to hear all the things that you said I was just like wow that's so cool that someone you know that like her that I've always looked up to because at that stage of me leaving I felt like really alone and like I was crazy and Mm. and then you know just to slowly discover more and more people was so comforting especially people that I have always admired and really looked up to so that was really powerful for me and then to hear about your new album and I first listened to rabbit hole and then I just bawled. I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's so cool to have somebody be able to write what it feels like to, to go through this. Cause you know, people that have never experienced it, they don't understand how much it affects you. You think like people that are, haven't grown up in this type of a religion, maybe just think it's not that big of a deal. Like just move on, you know, but it, for some reason it was, I didn't realize either that it was going to be this hard. I was like, okay, I don't feel right in this. I'm just going to move on. But it, it didn't go as smoothly as I thought it would. Went through the whole dark night of the soul, and it was a scary experience because initially I just thought, well, I, I you know, it doesn't make sense that this is the one and only true religion because I because there's so many other people in the world that are not Mormon. And so that was my first like opening up the door and like, well, I'm just going to live how I want spiritually. And I'm not going to worry so much about what the, the prophets and apostles are telling me to do all the time. So I started to go my own way. And then, and then I discovered all the truth about the history of the church. And for some reason that really affected me. I didn't know that it really mattered, but to, to discover all of those things really shook me, you know? Just kind of briefly tell me your background in growing up in the church and then, then, you know, like what led you to start questioning and then how that process was for you and, and did you experience like the dark night of the soul or like what was it that was so challenging and how did you overcome it and what do you 
how do you view things now? How do you view life and our purpose and all that stuff now? Because that's always, that's something, you know, six months ago that I needed to hear. I needed to hear people that had been out longer than me and giving me that comfort and peace that it's okay. So I grew up on the North coast of California. I was number eight of nine kids and we were a very devout uh, Mormon family. My dad was always in positions of um, higher leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. From the time I was born, he was a bishop and then state president um, throughout my childhood. And when I was 13, he got called to be a mission president. So we moved to Spain and I lived in the mission home for three years in Madrid, Spain um, from ages 13 to 16. Um, After that, we moved to Provo, and um, I went to Provo High my junior and senior year and graduated, and I've been in Provo ever since. So I live just a couple blocks east of BYU, and probably the highest concentration of of Mormons in the entire world. Um, So in a nutshell, that's kind of my background with Mormonism and growing Mm -hmm. up in it. And I always was proud of it and loved it, and... um, was so grateful for it and still am in, in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I think for me, um, some of the first like in like real doubts that I had um, were when I went through the temple for the first time. I got endowed when I was 19. Just for, for, oh, because you're engaged. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to serve a mission or no, yeah, so I was going to get married, and um, yeah, so I went through the temple, and I took a temple prep class, and I would say that that just did not prepare me at all for what the temple was at the time. I know it's changed recently, and I'm, I'm not sure how much it's changed, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, I um, felt like it was very um, strange, and there were things that disturbed me about it. Um, about the temple ceremony, but again, it was something that I had been trained my whole life to look forward to, and you know, that's like the the main goal, is get to the temple. And so, um, I just decided I would have faith, and it would make more sense as time went on. But it started to hurt more and more, I think, as time went on. I think I just was having, like, a, a gradual awakening to um, the inequalities between men and women in the church. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so for me, it did not feel good to have to go to the temple and stand on the left side of a man and receive this new special name that my husband could know, but I couldn't know his. And, um, you know, to not, other than the endowment session, women don't officiate in the temple and, um, and also, like, the covenants that you make, you know, at the time I went through the temple, you made a covenant to obey your husband. And yeah. that was felt very awful to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I would leave the temple and sit out in the parking lot and cry, like, because I was just like, I, you know, I, I don't understand why everyone seems to love the temple. For me, I just feel like a second-class citizen. Yeah. Things about it too, you know, and so I tried to focus on those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just like, this, there's just so much dissonance in my heart. Like, it doesn't make sense. So I think I just started to awaken to uh, what had been there all along, you know, just mm-hmm. um, 
I think that patriarchy is a toxic system in, in the big picture for both men and women. It hurts all of us. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then, so that was like a first thing for me. And then I, you know, I had some close friends that um, we would talk about these issues and, and they were both active in the church, but we went out to brunch one day and, and one of them um, said, you know, sit to tea with this Mindy. And she told me like the story of Fanny Alger. Oh, Mm-hmm. church history was one of I think it's a bit ambiguous but I think she was his first plural wife mm-hmm. he was a foster child in the Smith home and helped out you know in, in their home and um, she was it's debated whether she was 14 or 15 but she was very young and Joseph married her in secret without telling Emma and when Emma found out she was horrified and made Joseph annul the marriage and, and Fanny was was basically banished and sent to live in Ohio. I think it was Ohio, maybe. Anyway, a different state. And I just thought this, that is so much trauma for a child to go through. Mm-hmm. How it's okay. That was of the Lord. Like, yeah. so I guess I had to ask myself at that point, like, I, if I can't be okay with this one scenario, how can I be okay with the dozens of women that Joseph and then consecutive prophets took to wife, the sisters, the mothers and daughters that they married together, you know, um, just all, yeah, fell apart for me in, in almost an instant. Like when I found out about the Fanny Alger story and I read about it on mm-hmm. Mormon approved websites, mm-hmm. the actual pioneer journals that have been left behind about it. Mm-hmm. Felt like I was literally falling through a rabbit hole. With yeah. No end in sight. Like yeah. Lit and I and I physically collapsed to the ground. Like I couldn't even hold my body up when it just kind of like, like all <laughs> fell apart in a minute. And yes. Um, my husband came home. This was on a Sunday. He came home from church, and I was crying, collapsed on the kitchen floor, and I was and yeah, I told him about it and. He was not on the same page at the time, so it was really scary for him, but. I can, like, I got the chills when you said that feeling that you had, like, you were falling, because it's, like, it was, it's such an intense feeling that I never experienced before, and it's, I don't know, but it, it, so it's cool to hear that what you experience is similar to what people do experience when when they discover the truth and and it's kind of scary but it is also comforting to know that eventually you come out of it and and you do like in your song you just I I just love the lyrics of all your songs and it just really expresses what this feels like and and also comfort that everything will be okay you know that you get through it and and it's scary for a minute, but it's it's going to be fine. I have a question though about um, you know some people say well that's that was normal back then for for you know marriages to happen for for people to get young or married at such a young age, you know. And so it, there's always these ways of coming. You know, Mormons can come back and say well you know there's always there's a reason for this, and and you know, like the apologists there's they always have like this answer. But what what do you say about 
you know, it being normal to marry 13 and 14 and 15 year old girls. Yeah, I would say it was, um, you know, it happened back then, but I wouldn't say it was normal. It was, I think it was disturbing even for the people at the time. In fact, Oliver Cowdery got excommunicated because he called Joseph's relationship with Fanny um, a dirty, nasty, filthy affair. I believe that's a direct quote. Mm. And Joseph excommunicated him for that. Um, but it was, yeah, it, it was not normal back then and, and not normal to do it in secret without revealing that to his wife. Yeah. Um, there's a pioneer journal that, again, apologists debate on the, the validity of it, but it was a man who came upon, or sorry, he wrote, and I hope I don't get my history wrong here, so please correct me somebody if I do, but there's <laughs> an account of um, someone walking in on Joseph and Fanny in yeah. quote, celestializing in the barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we know something happened. We know they were married. We know yeah. they're not an old. Like if we just go by the basic facts, you know, if we let's leave like any kind of sex out of it, like uh-huh. just married her, you know, in secrecy. Yeah. I, I think I had to like come to terms with if God wanted Joseph to do that, then God is not protecting women. God is not on our side. Like, yeah, this makes no sense to me anymore. Like I can't. Yeah. I morally cannot support this. That's exactly the place I got to as well. Without even knowing that stuff about Joseph, it really just had to do with a lot of the different policies and things right now and what the 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 prophet and apostles would say about certain things and it just it didn't feel in alignment with my soul and it, which is confusing because you're like well they're, they're supposed to be speaking the truth so what's wrong with me that that doesn't feel that doesn't feel good you know yeah. and you know about the, the gymnastics game yeah it's to make it work in the end and it gets exhausting and it's I think it's harmful to our mental health to have to play that game but yeah so for me that the first like finding out about some of these things in church history was the catalyst and then I also yeah the um during the prop eight um the height of that I remember my ward asked for volunteers to make phone calls to California and I'm in a ward in Utah asking us to get politically involved with California's, you know, politics and politics, but asking to like literally take a a real side on marriage, you know, and I just felt like this is, this is not right. I felt sick to my stomach when they asked for people to start volunteering for phone calls. And I was just like, this is not right. And so I've been an LGBTQ activist as well for mm-hmm. quite some time. And, and all of, you know, those policies have been, I think, very harmful and hurtful. Um, yeah, exactly. That was one of the biggest things because I, I had some gay friends and, and I hated the feeling, this awkward feeling that I felt I had to have. Like, I'm supposed to not agree with what you're doing, but I love you. And, and we're taught that we can still love you, but inside we're supposed to think, but what you're doing is wrong, you know? And I didn't like having to feel that way. I'm like, why is it wrong? Why does it have to be wrong? Doesn't God love everybody? And 
obviously they're born that way. Why would God send them here that way? And then say, well, now you're going to have to live a life of celibacy and, and never get married and have, you know, have what we get to have here. You know, most people get to experience that relationship and having a family. And so it just seemed like that, that just can't be like, if God is all loving, how is that possible that he would do that to people? I'm with you there too. I just think it's very damaging to put ourselves in a position of saying you have to be celibate, um, even though it's clear. And and even I know that there are are professors at BYU that teach that this is biology for so many LGBTQ people. We know that. Yeah, I know. It's just so it's so not right. And love and companionship is probably the top basic human need for survival to try and take that from someone I think is just so wrong I think everyone deserves love and companionship in the way that that works for them yeah exactly so now tell me what what happened from that point when your husband came home and then kind of what um how things changed for you guys together in your marriage over the years and what the process was for your husband I mean, over the next five years, yeah, it, it was messy and still is. You know, it can, it, it, these things are, are messy for everybody that go through them. Mm-hmm. You have kids too, you know, and you've raised your kids in the church and then you're trying to figure out what's next with, with that. But it was really hard and tricky at first. And um, now we're great. We're on the same page where I feel like our relationship is better than it's ever been. Um, That's awesome. How old were your kids then? They were probably still young. So for me, yeah, this was about five years ago. So my oldest son would have been 12 or 13, 12. He was 12. And then I had a 10-year-old, two-year-old. Okay. How was that for your kids? Um, you know, it was tricky a little bit. And, and we've tried to, like, you know, let them choose their – paths through it and and I've told them I will support you you know with what you want to do if you want to go to church and I will go sit with you and be with you and so we did that for a while and um for the most part our kids aren't involved in church anymore but that has been their um you know their whole social network because we we live in Provo Utah and so this is what kids do here and um so yeah They've been involved in some ways and still are in some ways, and that's okay. Have you ever considered moving out of Utah? Um, yeah, I have just because I most of my upbringing was outside of Utah, and so, you know, that sounds, like, great to me. We've planted our roots here. We have a lot of family here now, and, and I love it. And I also, um, I just also feel like I could... I could run from this, you know, I could try to go far away or I could just face it head on and allow people the, the opportunity to accept me where I am and also allow myself the opportunity to accept people where they are within the church and, and to love them in that place. There's, no, there's nothing about this experience that puts me above anyone that remains in the church. I just feel like we're all on different trajectories in life and we're learning different things at different times we're having these parallel journeys. It's just, and yeah, there's, I think it's wrong for people to go through this experience and then somehow think they, they know more or they have more 
more truth because that's exactly the same paradigm that they just came from. Had more truth and they knew more. <laughs> yes. You know, that's funny because I did find myself doing that. And I think it, it stems from frustration, feeling judged. And so I, I did fall into that feelings of, you know, because I felt judged and people were thinking that I was wrong, it like triggered this like ego part of me that was like, well, you guys just don't know. And, you know, and so it's just kind of a way you feel like you have to fight back and not that I would go and like push this upon people or, you know, say anything, but in my mind I was thinking it, you know, and I don't want to be in that place where I think I know more than anybody else, because like you said, that's just exactly what I was trying to step away from. You know, I wanted to just be so open-minded and just allow people to be on their own paths. But then I, I did find myself through this process feeling that way. At a, at a point and it wasn't a good feeling because I'm like I don't want to be this way you know I want to love Mormons I want to appreciate them and not feel like I know any more than them just want to have a have a relationship with with everybody and and accept everyone on whatever path they're on yeah and it's it's easy to slip into that space and yeah it's I think it's also just equally important to recognize when you do because um that's not right either, you know? It's, it's not progressing as a human. So then when this happened, is that when you started to write these songs or did you write these more recent? No, yeah, some of these I started to write several years ago and, and they have, this album has been my therapy as I've yeah. had this experience and my way of processing it. Um, and all my albums, really, that's what they are. They're just a reflection of what I'm going through in my life at that time. I process life. I write music about it. And so. So have you always been really into music? When did you start singing? Like, how old were you when you started writing your own songs and singing and all that? Well, I remember um, pretty vividly, like, when I wrote my first song. I was 13. I was living in Spain. Um, but I... I wasn't very formally trained in music growing up. I took piano lessons in elementary school, but I think my performance experience comes from the church. It comes from my dad asking me to sing at zone conferences and firesides for missionaries when we lived in Spain. Um, that is my performance experience. It makes sense to me that that's why I started out in church music when I started my career. And then what else do you play? Keyboards, and I, I'm playing a little bit of guitar these days. I'm start, I'm taking lessons and learning. So my release concert for this album, I played guitar on stage for the first time. Um, and I, yeah, I'm continuing to learn, but mostly just keyboards and voice. I mean, voice is my main instrument. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I want to know like what your views are now about God and what gives you peace and how do you see the world and our purpose here and all that good stuff. Like what, if you were to talk to somebody just coming out um, and feeling that really scared feeling, what kind of ways would you comfort them? Like what kinds of advice would you give to people that are feeling that? Cause it's intense. <laughs> it is intense and so scary when you're first, you know experiencing that when you're like maybe there is no god and it's like the most hopeless it's like terrifying feeling if you've had this script your whole life of what 
God is and, you know, the plan of salvation and what happens next, when that's all like falls apart, it is terrifying. So anyway, um, I remember when that happened, when that was first happening to me, I was making my last album called Pocketful of Poetry and I was living in Nashville recording the album and my sister, my little sister was out there with me and she had already left the church years before. And I remember um, she was helping to nanny my kids. So she was living in, in the apartment that we were in and I lay one night, just laid down on, on her bed next to her and just like said, what, so how do you go on? Like, do you like not believe in God anymore? How? Oh, like it just, I couldn't fathom it, you know? Um, and at the time it was so scary, but she was just like, you know, I just, I've made peace with living in the questions with not having to know all of the answers. Because when, like, when you think about how small Mormonism is on this planet and how, you know, the tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people that believe in, in the Mormon version of God, like, most people, most of the world has a totally different concept of it. And it's okay, like, if you don't have all the answers. It's okay. No, because nobody does. Everybody has a different concept of what <laughs> life is all about. I really just have come to this conclusion that we're all in this miracle together, whatever this is. And it's okay that none of us have the full, like, the answers. So I, I'm agnostic right now, which means I just don't claim to know if there is a God or if there isn't, but I hope that there is. I really love the thought that there is something, I, I feel, I feel in my soul that there is something bigger to this whole thing than just that we're all an accident, you know, or we're all just a scientific anomaly. Um, I feel like there's more to it than that, and I feel like life is so incredible and beautiful and limitless that um, I just want to keep my options open. I'm yeah. open for any possibility. Yes, I love that. That's exactly how, I don't know if I'm completely agnostic, but I am, I have grown into this space of, okay, maybe it's okay to not know. Because <laughs> initially I was like, I gotta know, I gotta know. And I was like freaking out. And I just remember this, this just reminded me of the, the trigger I was listening to Mormon stories and it was like an interview that somebody was doing on John and John was just sharing more of his thoughts and, and beliefs and stuff. And they asked him, so do you believe in God? And this was just like a matter of weeks that I had decided that I don't really want to belong to any organized religion. I'm just going to be my own spiritual person and, and go my own way. And, and I, but I was still interested in learning about all this stuff about the Mormon church and more of the truth and the history and all that. So I kept listening to Mormon stories. And then when John said, uh, they said, do you, do you still believe in God? And, and he paused and he's like, well, God is unknowable. And those words that he said, it just triggered this panic attack. And I had a three day panic attack because he said that knowing all the information that he knew, I knew he knew a lot. I was just like, wait, what? I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for him to say that. You know, I just thought he was going to say, yeah, of course there's a God. And I just needed, I was just expecting that. And then when he didn't, I felt 
whoa, like I was shaking, I was pacing, I could hardly sleep. And it was just the scariest thing. My husband was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I don't know. I'm going to die. Like, how do we not, how do we live if there's no God, you know? But little, so I desperately was trying to search for answers. I'm like, somebody's got to know. Some religion has to know. You know, the Mormon church may have been made up, but there's got to be something that is not made up. And so I went to the Bible and then learned more about the Bible. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just, everything is unraveling. How do I go on? (laughs) And then I just, you know, finally, after like seven or eight months, I finally accepted that it's okay to not know. And there's still peace to be found within the not knowing. You just have to relax, you know? So it's really cool to see how much I have grown through this process within just, I think we're going on nine months now. And it's just amazing, the growth. And yeah, you just feel like you suddenly have woken up. And now you can see life so differently. You see people so differently. You see everything about yourself so differently you no longer have to identify yourself with with a religion or anything even your past you can just try to be more present and live in the moment and there's so much to appreciate and enjoy right now but I'm so worried about well what's gonna happen after we die (laughs) you know to release from like so much unnecessary shame and guilt and like just fear-driven thoughts like has been so amazing and just yeah one of the biggest benefits going through this whole journey that's true like the more I'm able to recognize my own growth I realize that by releasing that fear of you know messing up or what God's thinking of me or am I going to be judged am I going to go to hell all these um, things it was all triggered from fear and I'm thinking well anything from God, if there's a God, is good. So if it's fear-based, that that's not coming from God. So, so yeah, I, I no longer view God as a person. Even I think it's to me. I feel like God is is a noble, like John said, but something that we really can't comprehend. And and I no longer think that or feel that we are here to pass a test and we're going to be judged. I just think it's all about experience and love. <laughs> yeah. I was just really excited to get to hear more about, about your journey because this is so fresh for me. You know, it may not be something that's still as fresh for you, but it, it is comforting to talk to people that have, that ha- have experienced the, the more intense part of this transition years ago because you have grown so much in in that experience and just to know and have that hope and comfort that it just continues to get better you know so I just love talking to people that have that experienced this way before me to to offer me that that comfort you know oh yeah I know when you're like going through the most intense parts of it and when it's newer Um, I would say it is so important to talk to people who have been through this because there's a propensity to um, self-isolate sometimes when you go through these things, especially if you feel like you don't have that many people to talk to or you have a family that's very um, intensely, you know, Mormon and um, 
very enmeshed with the church, it can be difficult to process these things. So talk to as many people as you can. It, I would also say that some people can get um, stuck in this experience for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that it almost becomes a crusade or it becomes like your new world, you know, your new worldview for a long time. And I would say like to just maybe be aware that that can happen um, because I, there's more beyond this experience. Like it, the, the, you know, scary parts of it and the lonely parts of it can end. Like you can get through it. And I think I'm at a point with the whole journey where I'm kind of on the other side of that now where I thought it would never end. And there was even a time where I thought it might be better to die than to live where there was maybe more comfort in the thought of death or my family will be better off without me or all of these, you know, Mm -hmm. that seem ridiculous to me now but yeah it can get very intense and i would say get help get go see a therapist um i i just think processing the experience out loud is so important but there is there is an end to it like or there is like a door that leads you to another dimension of of this life if you want to go through that but it can be easy to get stuck into and the anger part of it like if you feel angry that's normal like I think that's totally a healthy part of this journey mm-hmm. what you maybe need to be concerned is if you've been in that space for a super long time you know and some people just get stuck and just are angry for forever <laughs> yeah yeah I know I feel like I've, I've definitely been experiencing a lot of different emotions which is comforting to know that I feel like I'm I'm going through each emotion and I'm processing it and I'm moving forward because yeah, that I don't want to think that five, 10 years down the road that I'm still going to be dwelling on this. I want to be able to think back on this time and be like, Oh, that was cool. I used to be Mormon and I learned a lot. And then I came out and now like, this is my life now and not have any sadness or resentment or anger. I just want to, yeah, I want to be able to move on. And I wonder too, like, with your album album coming out, does that feel as though it's bringing it all up again? Like, do you feel like you're kind of taking a step back by? No, you know, I think yeah, creating the album helped me process it and move through it. And so now that I feel like I'm kind of done with that, and I it it almost feels like a distant, you know, a past life or a former version of myself now. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit strange to like bring up these things again sometimes and and talk about them and sing about them, but I'm okay with it. Like I, because I know how hard it is when you're in the middle of it. Um, And I do want to help people that are in that really difficult space. That's what I would think is that now you're in a space where you are reminded of the raw emotion that you experience, but you now are in a space where now you're offering this sense of comfort and understanding for others that are more fresh going through it because like songs really impact me when I find a song that is expresses exactly how I feel it's like oh my gosh somebody else feels that somebody else understands you know and then with the the whole melody and the the instruments and it all just it's so empowering. Like that to me is like the spirit when, when you can feel so moved by, by a song. 
knowing that somebody else wrote that and it's like they knew your heart they knew everything that you're experiencing you know so it is cool that you're able to offer that for people like music is so powerful for people it is yeah it's such a universal language that we can all speak and understand well thank you so much mindy i like i really appreciate you taking the time and and i'm sorry to to have you like bring all this stuff up again but like you know it's it's fresh for me and i just want to know like what was it like for you and how did you get through it and and what do you feel now that gives you peace so i just i'm grateful for you you know speaking about this and offering me and others <laughs> words of encouragement and hope that it's fine life is still great it's amazing it's more than great and the good news is that you will get through it and people become i think when you're going through the part where you're worried about what people are thinking of you and how they're judging you for this choice and being public about it mostly um, because people take offense to it. It's like, well, you can leave the church, but why do you have to talk about it on social media? Why do you have to share it on your podcast? Why can't you just keep it in? I'm like, how can I keep this in? This is like my life. This is my experience right now. And that's the whole purpose of my podcast is that self-expression is so important. And so to keep something down and keep it in and not talk about it because you're afraid to offend other people, that's just a, that's a lot to ask of others. You know, it's like, don't talk about it because that's offending us. I'm like, then don't listen because <laughs> I need to talk about this. And I know there are so many people that are going through the same thing. So it's just, it's hard to um, feel like people are coming at you for just wanting to express your own truth. And it's hard when you're operating within the Mormon paradigm um, to fathom not sharing your testimony of the church or not sharing your, you know, the gospel. So I think it is an unfair thing to ask of people when they go through this to not share it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, but you get to share what, what makes you feel like, what feels like truth to you. So yeah, it is unfair experiences here on this planet and so my hope now is that this will just you know over time people will just accept it and and get used to it and there won't be the awkwardness and there won't be the judgment and people will realize I think in the in the beginning I don't know if it was the same for you but people just feel it's like they don't know how to respond to you. They don't know what they're supposed to do or say, or and so they just don't do or say anything. And so you just feel even more alone. And and so you're, and then you you don't know like, wait, wait, wait what do we talk about now? <laughs> you know, like we can't talk about the church. And so there's this um, awkward phase, you know, with friends and family members. And and so I I just hope that over time it will just become more normal and will become more comfortable around people and I won't have to feel like I'm secluding myself from Mormons because I don't know how to relate to them anymore and they don't know what to say to me I don't know what to say to them you know yeah I know what you mean and I think it's a beautiful thing when you can overcome that those thoughts and those the, the discomfort like that can go away too and I live in a neighborhood where um I know very few families who are not active in the church and I've I'm in a neighborhood where I've been in these war boundaries since I was 16 years old for, for my husband as well. We both were in this, these war boundaries, like when we were in high school. And so we've known these people for so long. Um, and I love them all so much. They are, they are my village and my tribe. 
And so um, I'm determined to remain just as good of friends with them, if not better than before. Do you feel like you, you did experience that awkwardness at first and then you were able to get to a good place over time? Yeah, yeah. I don't worry about it hardly at all anymore. Occasionally it rears its ugly head. You know, I'm only human. <laughs> we'll get a, a weird note from somebody or someone will say something passive aggressive, but that's my work to do. If I am going to feel offended or embarrassed or whatever, um, you know, I just, I, I can't control what other people are going to do to decide how I'm going to react to those things. And I can just be like, ah, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> or you're not a healthy person for me to be around, but you know, I can still coexist with you in this neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's the shift that needs to happen when you're experiencing those feelings towards other people that you feel are judging you is just realize that you can't, you can't force them to accept you. And so you just need to get to a place where you're going to allow them to be who they are and you just not need to not let it come in to you, you know, and, and work on yourself because yeah, that's all that you can do. Yeah. And I think we have to be careful too, to not collectively like now just distrust all Mormons or something now that you've been through this, because there are just so many incredible, lovely people who are active Mormons and, mm. you know, and who are not judging me through this experience. And I can't put that narrative on everybody that everyone's judging me and everyone's because they're not. So many people are just happy to let me have my own journey. You know? That's so true, yeah. I think like it is easy to just remember the mean, hurtful um, emails and comments that I've received. But there have been quite a few people that are Mormon who have reached out to me and said, hey, I just want you to know I, I love your podcast. And, and I, although I don't, you know, I'm still Mormon. I believe in it. I, I still love listening. I'm like, really? Like, I still have Mormons that are listening and they love it and they can, they can appreciate it, but still hold on to their beliefs. I was just like, wow, that's, that's like, th that's amazing to know that there's people that can, can still be in such a loving and open-minded space that they can still listen to somebody that's sharing, you know, these things and, and not feel like it's affecting their own testimony, you know? Yeah, and I think there's so many more people out there like that than we we sometimes give credit for. Yeah, it's really true. And, you know, I just, to close, I just remembered, it's your birthday today, right? Yes. Because I saw, I was on Facebook a minute ago, and I had a notification that it's Mindy Gledfield's birthday today. I was like, oh my gosh, what a day to get to interview her. Aw, thank you. Happy birthday. We're, I'm March, too. My birthday's next week. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Pisces, yay. Awesome, love it. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks again, Mindy. I really appreciate your time. And do you mind if I play a, a portion of your song at the end? I would love it, yeah. And I would love for people to know like that they can find my music on Spotify and iTunes um, and on Amazon. And you can buy the physical music too at mindygledhill.com. Um, and Instagram is where I mostly hang out online. So if people want to follow me, they can find me at, at Mindy Gledhill on Instagram. Okay. Yes. I love, the, I love what you post. I, I think you're just so real and, and also very kind and considerate of people. So I really love following you on Instagram. So yeah, I highly recommend that everybody go follow, follow Mindy Gledhill and, and wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Mindy. Little one, little one